Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're the number one business global radio show for entrepreneurs. And we're brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. This is our 148th show. Our 150th show in a couple of weeks, I think, is going to be brought to you from Sao Paulo. But I'm just waiting for that to um, be confirmed. But either way, our our 150th show will be a good one. Uh, If you're listening for the first time, we've been bringing the show um, for entrepreneurs for about three years, and we've interviewed over 180 business leaders and movers and shakers. We've had untold number of stories and business advice on how to be successful. Now, this is the program. We don't sit here and talk to you about why some stock that went up five cents or down five cents or any of that sort of stuff. We just try to give you advice that um, keeps you up to date and helps you make your business a little bit more successful. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how easy it is now with the um, Internet of Things for hackers to hack into your information, and uh, they can do it through the refrigerator, (laughs) through the garage door, um, through all sorts of things that are connected to the Internet of Things that don't have the same level of security as your um, as your computer and your smartphone and uh, your iPad your, or your um, tablet might. But now we've found another really easy thing to hack, traffic lights. You know, almost every night you see movies and TV shows where the bad guys hack into the traffic system and cause havoc on the roads and massive traffic jams and car crashes and and the um, bad guys just go through perfectly synced lights and get away. As it turns out, this isn't um, screenwriter fantasy. According to cybersecurity researchers, pulling off a caper like that isn't any problem at all. The researchers determined that an, an advert adversary can control traffic infrastructure and cause disruption and degrade safety and create chaos very easily. And they said, quote, with the appropriate hardware and little effort, a hacker can execute a denial of service attack to cripple the flow of traffic in a city, cause massive congestion at intersections by modifying light timings or even take control of the lights and give themselves clear passage. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? And uh, the researchers identified three main weaknesses in traffic control systems in the US. The use of unencrypted wireless communication signals, default usernames and passwords, and the use of a traffic controller. Yeah, that's the machine that... um, interprets sensor data and controls lights and walk signs and things like that. And that is vulnerable to known hacks. Wow. So traffic signals, you know, they were initially isolated machines and now they're 
big interconnected systems, and uh, and that that improves traffic flow and safety considerably. Unfortunately, it also leaves traffic control systems vulnerable to a system-wide attack that would have been impossible a couple of decades ago. The researchers, the good news, the researchers did identify some relatively easy fixes, but added that the real problem is not any individual vulnerability, but lack of security consciousness right across the board. So that's encouraging at a time when we're worried about ISIS or ISIL um, to know that they can come in and wreck our cities by hacking is a bit of a worry. Apps. People come to me all day, every day, that are creating new apps. And uh, apps were a thriving industry only a couple of years ago, but the, um, the big players are now dominant. Profits have been squeezed to nothing. And I saw some interesting figures uh, at the weekend at a conference I went to where it said that something like 70% of all um, mobile users and smartphone users have not downloaded an app in the last month. And so people have gone right off downloading apps and uh, for the first few years after the Apple App Store launched, you know, we kept on hearing, hearing stories about um, huge profits being made from apps and uh, not much coding involved and people were doing really well. At, um, early smartphone adopters were happy to spend a couple of dollars on a well-designed to-do list or a weather app and Angry Birds was flying high. I remember when um, people said they're an app developer, you thought, wow, they're going to be rich. <coughs> Excuse me. The reality is that now only the biggest companies can get noticed in an app store. You know, there's about two million apps and uh, very few are receiving any downloads. A study last month of more than 10,000 app makers by mobile by Vision Mobile found that only 1% of developers make more than the other 99% combined. So while there's somewhere around 3 million mobile develop, developers in the world today, more than half make less than 500 bucks a month. <laughs> more challenging more challenging is the fact that Deloitte's found that almost a third of smartphone users do not download apps at all. So when you think about it, though, it's pretty pretty puzzling, isn't it? Because a growing majority of people in Western Europe and North America and in Asia now have smartphones that are increasingly sophisticated, have greater capabilities and owners of iPhones and iPads, they've downloaded more than 75 billion apps in the last six years. And Apple's online uh, store holds the credit card details for 800 million people. Wow. So you'd think that this was boom times for developers. And according to smartphone makers, they are. Apple says the app economy's created about one million jobs in Europe and it's paid more than 20 
billion to developers since the App Store launched in 2008. But the reality is that the app gold rush is over. There are very few making any money. One of the things that surprised me at this conference I went to the other day was that the fifth highest money-making app is the Kardashians, making around $400,000 every day. I don't know what they've got, but they obviously have something. So part of the problem seems to stem from the success of the App Store itself. Um, the best apps rose to the top of the charts, even those that you know charged a buck or a couple of bucks for the app. Now, with millions of apps to choose from, the stores are dominated by those companies that can afford to invest heavily on ad online advertising. Social networking apps such as Facebook, WhatsApp, Messenger, Instagram, Snapchat. Now, they benefit from a viral growth engine that more utilitarian um, kinds of software just can't hope to compete with. Even Candy Crush Saga's huge popularity, a game that at its peak was played by more than a billion times, by more than 90 million people every day, has waned. And, uh, and its creator, King, warned that um, other games were failing to make up the difference. Every app today has a dr drastically reduced lifespan. And the app stores are hit-driven business, like the music or the movie industry. Something comes and goes, and the biggest obstacle for the long tail is precisely what's driven the success of the app store. New ones, popular for a minute, then gone. And uh, that dynamic's also fueled a black market in app downloads. Shady marketing firms offer developers a guarantee that their app will appear in the charts using automated server farms. Some employ rooms full of people doing absolutely nothing but downloading apps. Adding to the visibility problem is the ease with which other companies can just copy the popular ones. It took only 21 days after the release of Threes, and that's a puzzle game that its creators spent more than a year developing, for it to be copied. Now, if developers cannot buy their way into the top 10, or if they find their ideas are being ripped off, they've got to hope that the inherent quality of their app will stand out enough that Apple or Google will feature them for a promotion on their store's front page. And uh, these slots, which are driven largely by an algorithm in Google Play and are chosen by editors on the iOS app store, can't be bought or rigged. But a recommendation from Apple or Google doesn't always give a lasting boost to today, even for larger and well-resourced companies. And when you think that a simple app takes probably a month to create and costs about 40000 bucks. A more sophisticated app using the cloud to synchronize the data between devices will likely cost you $200,000, $250,000. So it takes a hell of a lot of 99 cent apps to break even on an app that's costing hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the app bubble is over. Um, I don't know what um, I think. Probably is going to be something to replace it, but I'm not sure what that is. As you know, the um, FAA has been down on drones 
and uh, even suburban councils are banning drones from flying over their skies, which seems to me to be pretty narrow-minded and stupid. But it's happened, and, uh, you know, it seems governments are just so far behind um, where the world's at. I was reading this morning about a California assemblyman who voted against giving um, uh, Lyft and um, Uber more freedom, and uh, then when he left the assembly, he got booked for DUI. <laughs> and uh, in all the states where Uber and Lyft are working well, DUI bookings have fallen considerably. So um, just shows you where politicians' heads are at. Now, Amazon's going to reportedly start testing its delivery, delivery drones in India as soon as next month. And uh, Jeff Bezos first announced the company's drone delivery ambitions back in December. You might remember the 60 Minutes. And uh, they're saying that they'll get packages to customers in as little as 30 minutes. Now, they hit roadblocks in their initial testing because commercial drone use is currently illegal in the US and the FAA currently um, dictates that only hobbyists can fly drones outdoors and they've got to be in certain areas and all commercial experimentation needs to take place indoors. Now, how bloody silly is that? The FAA was originally expected to lift the ban on commercial drones this time next year, but technically and regulatory obstacles are going to delay that deadline and who knows for how long. So it seems that a whole bunch of places around the world might be getting drone deliveries before the United States, which puts its hand up to be the world leader in technology and innovation. Ha! Well, the country is. Just the politicians aren't. So um, and in India, where Amazon is going to start drones in a month or so, they don't have any laws about um, drone usage at all. Now, I want to bring to your attention a, a great initiative, and um, this is actually quite interesting and probably quite funny. Um, the Gene R. Cohen Entrepreneurial Scholarship, which is awarded at um, George Washington University and the University of Southern Maine, it's a um, entrepreneurial scholarship that's given to an undergraduate student after freshman year. And the award, uh, it's not needs-based, nor does the student have to have an exceptional GPA. It's just given to um, a student that the undergraduate dean of the School of Business selects as one that is extremely entrepreneurial. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, there is a, a charity component where the recipient's required to give back a gift of time as a volunteer, so... You get the award, you've got to contribute so much time to um, volunteering or a gift of wisdom as a guest speaker or you've got to give a financial gift to the university, whatever, but you have to give back. And a student can only receive this award once. 
Now, the scholarship's named for Jean R. Cohen, who was an entrepreneur and a a philanthropist. He helped start and grew American Management Group, which was considered to be one of the largest privately held glazing companies in America. But he was a true entrepreneur. He took many business risks, and he had a fair percentage of them that paid off. Now, his son, Scott, is now a trustee. Now, after the break, in a couple of minutes, um, I interview Scott about his sensational new product, Forgetnik. Now, Forgetnik automatically, totally erases all evidence of a communication 24 hours after it's been sent. Now, the world's most brilliant forensic computer guy cannot find evidence of it. So after 24 hours, it is gone forever. And the remarkable thing is it only costs 72 bucks a year. But the even more incredible thing about it is that I started talking to Scott. I mentioned it to him just at the tail end of the interview. I said, asked him about um, um, his philanthropy and uh, he explained to me about the um, Gene Cohen Entrepreneur Award. And guess what? (laughs) I found out that my son Hunter actually won the Gene Cohen Award when he was doing business at George Washington. So what a small world. I interview a guy about a product, mentioned entrepreneurship. He's a trustee of, a, of a, um, an entrepreneurial scholarship, which my son actually won some years ago. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I have plans to expand the entrepreneurial scholarship with possible future schools identified as Stanford, Boston and the University of New Hampshire. A fantastic initiative, and I would have said that even if my son hadn't have won it. But one hell of a coincidence, don't you reckon? You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. Now, we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or we'll email you directly. Now, um, my new newsletter will be out probably in about a week. So if you'd like to get that newsletter, go to the website, bobpritchard.com, enroll, and we will get it out to you. You're listening to Voice America Business, and I will be back with Scott Cohen, a really good guy, a great philanthropist, in just a minute. you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. 
Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And we're brought to you every week by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management. Now, this is the segment of the show where we interview successful entrepreneurs. You know, people who are interesting and have something to share with other entrepreneurs that can help us all become much more successful. We also bring you new products and services can assist you to be more effective and efficient. My guest today is Scott Cohen, who, like my son, is a graduate of George Washington University with a finance BBA. So I like this guy already. And uh, his first job was with American Management Group, where he helped convert and downsize the company's mainframe computer system to a server PC network and upgraded the phone systems. While at AMG, Scott started Madison Connections to buy equipment from manufacturers as an added value reseller. He was involved in launching free email in 1995, also in the United States RFID markets, he developed ultra-high-frequency transaction software and incubating ultra-wideband radio frequency. Now, I'm not sure what the hell all that means, but I'm sure he'll explain it to me. Now, Scott's got a number of patents and trademarks pending and issued, and uh, several patents in the publication stage. He's a regular speaker on the circuit and a, a, um, a trainer. He specialises in real-time location with RFID systems. He's the president, president of Madison Connections, DBA American Special Projects, which is focused on retail, commercial and government customers. Now, after a lot of market research, his new Forgetnik messaging service is entering the consumer market. Now, one bit that I'm really passionate about, Scott is the co-trustee of the Gene R. Cohen Charitable Foundation, and he's a partner at Social Venture Partners in Arizona. He's done well, and he's now giving back. And we urge all entrepreneurs to give back. Get get into the habit of giving back, because um, it's uh, people like Scott Page, who's a a serial entrepreneur and happens to be a member of Pink Floyd. Um, as he said on this program a few weeks ago, you know he gets more satisfaction out of giving back than he does out of making it in the first place. So I. I applaud Scott for that. Hi Scott, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hi Bob, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I'm doing really great. Um, now what drove your fascination for electronic messaging and when did you get involved? 
Well, Bob, thanks first for having me here on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Pleasure. Um, first got involved with the Forgetnik product about four years ago. We right. had a uh, longtime client of ours who's a uh, medical professional come to us and ask us how they could secure their email. Mm-hmm. And we started uh, looking into it and realized that the email product that we first introduced to the market in 1995 as a free electronic mail solution actually could be reworked and turned into a secure message portal. Right. So how does it work? So what is what is Forgetnik? Let's start there. How does, how, and how does it work? Forgetnik is a, a portal electronic messaging system. Right. And what that means is is that the email never actually leaves our server. It lives lives in this big database out in the clouds. Right. And you get to it using a secure channel called a secure socket layer connection between your computer and our computer. Okay. And so the people that send messages back and forth to each other each need to have an account on our system. Right. And the way our service works is when you sign up for one account, we give you two accounts. Or if you sign up for the annual subscription, if you sign up for one account, we actually give you seven accounts. Okay. And so each person, one person logs in, says, I'm going to send a message to person number two. They log out or they can stay logged in, either one. Uh, person number two gets what's called a disguised message, which is our uh, our secure way of sending a message out to them at their normal email account to say, hey, you've got something for you at Forgetnik. Okay. They come to for. They come to a disguised uh, portal. Uh, we call it a Diddy domain, right. D-I-T-T-Y, <laughs> and uh, they enter in their Forgetnik authentication, and they get into their Forgetnik electronic messaging system and retrieve their message. And then so, they can reply to the message at that point. So if if um, they, you, you take you get an account, you get seven um, accounts. As each of those have its individual. Um, um, password or whatever you call it, their access code? Yes, everybody has their own unique username and secure password. So everything is really locked totally between the, the sender and the person who's meant to receive it. Correct. And while it's uh, while it's actually within our server confines, it's sitting on an encrypted uh, hard drive. So right. no one else sees that data. It's, it's uh, pretty much as secure as you can get. Without uh, without physically having the person in the room with you and, and whispering in their ear. Yeah, that's not very secure either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's hearsay at a later point as opposed to uh, something that's uh, actually in writing. And, and not with, that's not with the, all the uh, listening devices that are out there. It's not. Um, so, okay. Now, what sort of people would use um, Forgetnik? Well, it's really designed at this point for the consumer market. Okay. Uh, we did a lot of uh, market research. We hired a firm and, and uh, extensively uh, researched a group of people uh, anywhere between the ages of uh, 20 and, and 60. Right. And we determined that the right market for it is uh, consumer entertainment. That would be, you know, you're at work and you want to send an email message to your wife at home and you don't want to do it through the corporate account. Sure, uh, and you you don't want to send it necessarily to your personal account because, as you know, sometimes when you get into depositions and litigation down the road, sometimes they'll ask for your personal email in addition to your your business email yep. account. Yep, looking for information. Well, the nice thing about Forgetnik is it's closer to 
behavior as a messaging service than it is as an electronic mail service. Okay. Because what we do is you send a message to your wife. It's personal stuff. You don't want it shared uh, with the rest of the world. She sends a message back to you. It goes back and forth like that. But what happens is, is at the 24-hour point, whether or not the email has been read, we automatically delete it from our servers. And it's gone and forever. Irretrievable. Gone forever. Never never existed, never backed up in the 24-hour period. It is, it is gone at 24 hours, as are all of the electronic mail logs. So right. if you ever get into a deposition down the road and somebody says, oh, wait, you had, you know, 45 communications at this particular point in time with your wife, well, that never actually comes up because there is no record that that occurred. All that they would know is is that you've got a forget Nick account someplace. What a fantastic boon for husbands who want to play up. <laughs> Woo! Um so you charge for this service, obviously, but isn't aren't there some other services out there that um, that are free? Is it the um, uh, the the total security that that makes it worth paying for? Exactly. You know, there are certainly some services out there, and I'm sure we all know the names. So I'm not going to run through them. Yeah, why give anybody uh, else credit? <laughs> exactly. You know, there's no such thing as bad PR, and, and I'm going to keep all the PR focused on uh, forgetting it right now. But the uh, the other services are free, and, and with free, you don't get the guarantees. Our uh, system is actually uh, vetted by Lloyds of London, and we have a, uh insurance policy when we launch commercially that will go with that. We actually guarantee that from the point where you send the email to the point where the intended recipient receives the email, that it will not be tampered with, read with, read, etc. No, no human eyes or, or anything will ever be laid on that intentionally. Uh, somebody trying to hack into your account or, or anything like that, that won't occur. And they actually wrote us a million dollar policy for that, which wow. is unique. They, as far as I know, they've never written anybody else a million dollar policy for uh, that type of protection. So that that really speaks volumes uh, as to the in- integrity of our service. It's also, a fantastic uh, differentiator. Brilliant. It's a great one. It's a yeah, great brilliant. one. We're very lucky to, to get that. It just it, it it speaks to the quality of the intellectual property that we first developed in 1995 and that we're continuing to develop today. The, the other thing, Bob, about free email or free chat services is usually what's happening is is they're doing some marketing with that. Yeah. So they're sending along some uh, advertisements at the bottom of the chat, like if it's in your... Uh, cell phone or something like that yeah, pony, where they're sending the it along in your email yep. oh, it, it really is and, oh. and then you accidentally click on it and then you wind up at a web page you didn't want to be at and then you can't get um, out of it <laughs> can't get out of it and some yeah. of them they even, they even put cookies into your browser so now yep. you've, you've gone to this chat page and uh, and then later you're at work or you're, or you're even doing it at your work computer or you're doing it at your home computer and then it pops up a week later a month later that you've been on this chat site starts showing up in your advertisements. Yeah. So there really is no such thing as free. And, and what we do is, is you own your data, it's yours. We don't pester you. We don't advertise to you. Uh, we don't spy on you. It's all yours. And in 24 hours, it's gone. What sort of, um, what sort of fees do you charge? It's very economical. It's uh, $72 a year for an annual account. That gets you uh, seven uh, usernames one as the paid subscriber and then six as the uh, the friend. $72 then, a year? 
Right. A buck a month uh, per account. Wow. Less than that. Yeah, it's, it's a great deal. I mean, if, if you're doing, uh, like, the corporate uh, services, they charge anywhere from, you know, 8 to $10 a month for the uh, individual account. Yeah. And we're doing seven accounts for the same price. Now, we're not a business service. Obviously, we're for consumer entertainment right now. But we do have some uh, business products coming down the road as well as some products aimed to support our uh, troops in the fields and, and uh in combat theaters. I would have thought that it would be perfect for corporations. I mean, for example, I'm, I've got a client in Australia. Um, I'm originally Australian. I've been here 27 years, but I can't throw the accent. But I do have a client in Australia, and I'm sending um, an email this morning that I want to be 100% absolute locked-in confidential. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it before I... I got to speak to you um and it had nothing to you know what we were going to talk about didn't occur to me but i was think, sitting there thinking geez i wish there was a way to send this so that it was you know for our eyes only and no one else so this this is perfect so if i wanted i become a i become a member um i simply notify that person or you notify that person or that there's a forget nick um message for them or do they have to be or, a member too? Well, in order for them to receive a message from you, they have to be a member too. That's why okay. we okay. give away the friend account with the paid subscriber. Okay. So all we would do is like we'd give you an account or yep. you'd, you'd sign up for an account. And then inside of your uh, management console, there's a choice of add friends. And right. you just go in there, you click add friend, you put in your friend's email, you uh, check off that your friend is older than 18 years old, yep. and then you send the invite, and they receive a, a message in their normal electronic mailbox, say you've been invited to forget sure. it. Yep. Uh, they go, enter their uh, vital statistics, and uh, create their username in a 12-digit uh, alphanumeric special character password or more, right. yep. and uh, and now they can send messages uh, back and forth to you securely. It, it takes all of about two minutes to uh, enroll uh, both the paid subscriber and the friend. I love it. I think it's fantastic. So when will you have an app? In fact, why didn't you start with an app? I mean, well, somebody I, I, I know and respect uh, very much on the app market tells me that uh, most apps don't make any revenue. Uh, and yeah. there's something only like uh, 60 of them in the whole world that are actually generating anything on the positive side of revenue. That's that's absolutely true. In fact, I've got a I've got a um, a segment on the show um, next week where I talk about um, about apps. S- something like ninety percent of all the revenue um, from all the apps on the planet, the two million apps, go to twenty five companies, and the average um, something like ninety percent generate no men- no revenue, and the, those that do average less than five hundred bucks a month. <laughs> right. Well, so, the, so we're actually very. Now, now that I've said that, we're, we're actually pretty close to an app. We did all of our oh, okay. development in uh, in HTML5. Yeah. So the the nice thing about that is that uh, whether you're on an iPhone or an Android or a, you know, an Android tablet, Windows tablet, Windows phone, etc., anything with a browser in it, this will currently run uh, on the browser setting. Right. So. Okay. Uh, the, the next thing that we have to do is we just have to go and we have to en- encapsulate uh, all the HTML5 within 
you know, the, the code to turn it into an app. Um, we actually have some special features that are planned for our app, uh, but we're not planning to really release uh, something app-specific until January. There's not a, a... You would think that there'd be a huge demand for it, but from yeah. the, uh, the beta testers we've been doing uh, this with for about the last three months, we haven't had one of them say, when is it coming out into an app? Everybody is very satisfied to use the browser in their phone or on their computer. Yeah, I think more and more people are um, uh, paying less attention to apps. But what you, I would have thought that with something like this, a, a Tim Draper-type hotmail viral marketing program would be um, would be fantastic because as soon as I heard about it, I thought, you know, I've got to have one of these. This is brilliant um, and I would have thought that most people these days want to be able to send confidential totally confidential emails and particularly uh, I, I guess that applies equally for the consumer but a, a small business guy like me um, you know I'm always wanting to send totally confidential emails that I don't want to get out or I don't want to be leaked or I don't want to be used against me sometime in the future <laughs> <laughs> it, it's well, well, right now, I, I emphasize this is for uh, entertainment purposes. As you might be aware, uh, in the business in the uh, United States business market, mm. uh, businesses are typically, as well as governments, are typically required uh, to retain their secure emails for a certain period of time. Mm. Usually, due to you know, like if it's medicine, HIPAA, if it's business, Sarbanes Oxley, uh, as sure. well as you know, normal uh, litigation uh, items that might arise. And you know, so for a typical business user, uh, we end up uh, having a responsibility to retain uh, not only the email but also sure the log uh, for a period of time, as well as uh, with the mobile application that we would have an, an obligation to do that. Yeah. So that's why our, our first product to market is the rapidly erasing or the, the auto-destructing uh, electronic message. Right. We uh, we do have products that will be coming to market that retain for the required period of time for the business, and those will cost more because we've got to uh, retain it. the The big advantage that we have right now is it's here and it's gone, and so we don't have a, a tremendous amount of server requirements for what we're doing. When we move yeah. into the commercial market, it's going to require uh, more assets in order to make that work, and we've got to you know charge. Appropriately for that, yeah, I have legal obligations too. That I guess will be a problem. Um, as as far as retaining, what is the law with regard? Um, now, I, my email this morning, without giving away too much information, is one where I'm asking someone. I've been, we've been pitching for a a, a, a contract, and uh, I came up with an idea that. I don't want anybody else to know about um, that. We wanted—I want to determine whether the other person's interested and whatever. What's the obligation legally with that sort of correspondence, or is it only certain sort of correspondence that you have to keep for the government? I mean, you're not—we're not supposed to lie either, but you know, most business people, one way or another, do. So, what? Um, I, I think the longest statute of limitation I've seen on on business so far has been about six years. Uh, although they tell you to retain your tax records for seven years. Yeah. And if you're a physician or really anybody who's dealing uh, with with medicine or medicine related to children, 
you're required to retain it for 18 until a child turns 18 plus seven years. Wow. And even then, when you delete your records, like if it's a medical record for a patient, uh, you can delete some parts of the record after seven years, but you can't delete the entire record. So if, if you're in the medical profession, you're sending messages back and forth, I mean, potentially it could be a lifetime. It could, yeah, it could. It, it seems to me that um, the medical profession is, is perfect for this. I mean, absolutely perfect. It, it requires uh, huge databases to store the sort of information that needs to be retained in the uh, in the healthcare profession. I think that the uh, the business market, the military market, uh, it's shorter. You know, it's a smaller database, probably a six to ten year uh, time frame. Right. Uh, but the consumer market right now has uh, no specific yeah, limitations. No, right. And it also depends where you are. Uh, in the uh, United States, although they do require uh, you know, access for subpoenas from you know, courts of competent uh, jurisdiction. They don't require the retention of email or email logs. If right. you go to the European Union, they don't really respect the. Uh, if a U.S. court wants to go and subpoena the records, they don't really respect that. But they are required to retain all the logs and all of the information. Are you uh, just in the United States currently? Or do you have the plans to? Are, yeah, the servers are in the U.S. and right. uh, our beta market is currently the U.S. Uh, and uh, the language on the site is currently English. Right. Uh, we have some considerations on our roadmap uh, to look overseas uh, into into other markets. Of course, since it's virtual, uh, somebody from overseas could come in and, and use it uh, in English today. But we we really don't want to fragment our focus right now, and our focus is on the U.S. market which is a fantastic consumer of this type of product. Absolutely. Now, getting on to one of my favorite subjects, um, I'm always talking on this program about how important it is for entrepreneurs to give back to the community. I must admit, I was vehemently um, anti-Zuckerberg for quite a few years until he sort of found his um, um, philanthropic streak, and I think now that he's he's doing some amazing things. Um so why is it important to you to give back and, and what's your motivation? Is there something in your background that inspired you or is it just that you woke up one morning and decided that you're a really good guy? No, I, I've, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't wake up one morning. My parents, uh, Madeline and Jean Cohen, they, uh, they inspired me. They, uh, unfortunately, they uh, passed quite early in their life. Uh, they were in their 40s, uh, both of them. Wow. Uh, when they passed away, but uh, even before they did, they uh, always, you know, volunteered. My mother was a big volunteer in the uh, arts and uh, religious communities in uh, Maine, and my father uh, was a big supporter of, uh, you know, community organizations uh, like the Boys Club and uh, and camps and other types of charities like that. And so I always had exposure to it growing up, and then. Uh, after my uh, father passed away, he formed the uh, the Gene R. Cohen Charitable Foundation, yeah. and I've been a co-trustee in that since uh, I think it's 1990 is when we started. We've given away I think more than a million dollars wow. so far. Um, Good on give you. Give or take a little bit. I, I don't know the exact number, and uh, so it's it's really been uh, a learning experience uh, on there, and I've participated uh, on a number of nonprofit boards. I, I've only done 
I think, one for-profit board in the last 22 years, and that was for my own companies. Sure. And uh, so it's just, it's really rewarding to give back yeah. money to the community and see how they use it, and, and also the people that uh, receive the money and, uh, and see how it changes their lives. Yeah, it, it is really extremely satisfying, and uh, in an era where entrepreneurs can make a lot of money reasonably quickly compared with historically um, I think that and it seems to be sweeping across entrepreneurs and uh, which is a, a fabulous thing yes. Scott um, so give me give me an elevator pitch we're in an elevator we're going up 15 floors give me an elevator pitch to close this off why should I get forget Nick because it's the only guaranteed by a financial guarantee auto-destructing electronic message system out there. No other system out there can provide you the safety, security, uh, and integrity that our system can provide. Well done. Very good. Scott Cohen, thanks very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, if you'd like to know more about Scott and Madison Connections, go to asproj.com. That's A for Apple, S-P-R-O-J dot com. You're listening to Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management, and I'll be back with you after this short break. Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. Uh, during the week, Mark Cuban, who as you know, is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and one of the sharks on Shark Tank, uh, told us of the six things he believes you need to know to be great in business. So I thought I'd run them past you. What he said was that there's no shortcuts in business in order to be successful. There are a few things you need to know and you need to work hard. And uh, he also said these are not all of his recommendations by a long shot, but he thinks that they are um, six of the most important things. Now, Mark's first point is to know how to sell. And I agree with that because almost everything you do is selling. doesn't matter what it is. Um, and selling means being able to convey why your product or service, which could be you if you're looking for a job or it could be... Um, 
you know, talking to staff or it could be trying to sell a product or actually physically sell a product or service, why it's going to make things better, why the person that you're talking to is going to be better off by accepting what you say. And um, selling's never about convincing. And there's another thing I agree with him entirely. Um, it used to be in the old days, old days before most of you listening were probably even in business, but it, it, it was um, you would uh, get your foot in the door and then talk as fast and hard as possible and keep selling until somebody gave in and said, okay, you got me, I'll buy. Um, that doesn't work anymore. Today, unless you're helping whoever you're speaking with, it's not going to fly. Secondly, today, uh, Mark says the most very important thing is you have to put yourself in the shoes of your customer. That's another thing I agree with. And um, so if you know how to put the person you're dealing with in a position to succeed, then you're going to be successful. So you need to be able to quickly understand their needs and their demands and that of the company that they work with. Um, and every business is different. And uh, so unless you can understand them and have empathy with where they're at and find a way to solve their issues, then you won't be successful. So, and how to, how to do that understanding comes from investing a huge amount of time and effort in, in learning about different industries, different types of people, um, neuro, neuro-linguistic programming and a whole bunch of other things. And that, of course, takes work. And it's a never-ending process to determine... Um, what companies need and it's changing very rapidly because most companies are still the old legacy companies who 99% of stuff the way they've always done them and that doesn't work anymore so you've got to look for ways to disrupt the way they do business and try to um, improve it and if you don't understand what it takes to make these people and these companies you work with if you don't find a way to make them better and more efficient, more competitive, then you're not going to understand how to be successful. Now, Mark Cuban's third tip is that you must know as much as possible about technology. And, uh, you know, one of the great things he says about technology is that it changes every day. Well, I find that one of the most daunting things, I must admit. And uh, look at any tech you can see today or have ever seen you know, it's it's new and it's any tech you've ever read about. You know, it was all invented by someone and they know the product better than everyone. And on the day it is released, you're just as knowledgeable, knowledgeable about that technology as anyone else in the world, apart from the person who invented it. From there, you've just got to keep learning. So it is a big endeavour to try and keep up with technology. But if you're one of the few people who know the new technologies, you're in a unique position to put yourself in the shoes of your customer. And then you can determine if the new technology can be of benefit to them. So we're talking a minute ago about being disruptive. Well, new technology enables change, and where there's change, there's opportunity. So it's up to you to figure out what that opportunity is. Now, fourthly, you should always ask yourself how you would design a solution to the customer's problem if no 
if there wasn't an obvious um, existing solution. Because 99.99% of all the things that we do today in business are being done the way they've been done for 100 years. So maybe in the business that you're talking to, nobody has reimagined how things should be done. And that's what knowledgeable people and successful people do. They try to improve the knowledge and the um, way that the business operates or a section of the business operates. And it doesn't matter what the business is. You try to identify the problem and find out how to solve it. Um, So... That's one of – you need to look at what it is. Can you improve it? How do you create what it is that can improve it? And uh, go with it. Now, Mark Cuban's fifth question is, is this the path of least resistance to something better? And Mark says that lots of people come up with new ways of doing things that they think are great and amazing. What they fail to ask is whether it will make anybody else's life better or easier. The simple test of any imagineering of a process um, or a situation is simple. Is this the path of resistance to a better place for the user? Yes or no? And uh, I find this one funny. Mark Cuban's final personal piece of advice on how to be successful is to be nice. This seems pretty ironic coming from um, Cuban as he comes across to most people as rude and arrogant, but he says, and he's quite right, that people hate dealing with people who are jerks. It's always easier to be nice than to be a jerk, so don't be a jerk. And uh, I agree with that too. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big Cuban fan, but all of those things make sense. Um. There are, there are a few more things I would, would add to that, but um, learning is the most important one, I think. I think that um, you know, there was an old saying, I, I used to use it in my speeches, saying, um, if you're not continuously learning, then someone somewhere else is. And when the two of you go head to head, if they know more than you, they will win. And uh, it seems to me that we all work too hard these days to uh, let the other guy win by default just because you've been too lazy to learn. And uh, I can't remember the exact figures, but um, something like um, 90% of business CEOs and and management, people in the C-suite, don't continue to learn after they leave university, do no further education after they leave university. Sure, they learn more about their trade, but that's it, and uh, that's not good enough. Now, this is a segment uh, of the show where we also answer emails from listeners across the world, and judging by the email we receive, um, it's a very, very popular segment. So no matter what your enterprise, we've all got the same issues and the same challenges, and it doesn't matter what business you're in, and I've said this over and over again, it doesn't matter whether you're in retail, whether you're building apps, whether you're a plumber, a landscape gardener, running a dry cleaner or just invented a new engine, it doesn't matter. We all have 
the same issues, not with the product, but with running a business, um, financial management, operational control, running staff, um, and a whole bunch of other things. It is very difficult raising money, you know, um, protecting your IP, all of those things. It really doesn't matter what business you're in. So my first email today is from Alastair Watson from Hampstead near London. One of my um, speakers bureaus is in Hampstead in London. Now, Alastair says, says, you were speaking a couple of weeks ago about adding value to your customers. I own a travel agency and our margins per booking are very small. So how can I add value to my customers? Keep up the good work. I listen to the show all the time and I appreciate your advice. Regards, Alastair. Well, thanks, Alastair, for your email. Thanks for your compliment. I appreciate it. Um, as far as adding value to your clients, as um, as Mark said, you need to put yourself in your client's shoes. Think like they do. You say you're in the travel business. Well, I'm not an expert in the travel business, but when somebody, except I travel a hell of a lot, firstly, when somebody buys a ticket from you, what do you do? Now, most pe- travel people take their money and give them their ticket, but that's exactly what every other travel agent does. Nothing at all to differentiate you from the rest. So what can you do that's different? How about if they buy a ticket to Greece, you give them some Greek what to see brochures. Maybe you give them a photocopy of the section on Greece and the Lonely Planet travel book. Um, how about giving them a cheap disposable camera and have them send in their best photos with a, a chance to win a prize at the end of the month? Maybe you could just give them a CD by Nana Muscuri or Demis Roussos. Another great added value is a travel adapter that works in Greece. There is nothing worse. It is an absolute pain in the ass when you go somewhere to a country and you're not able to plug in your phone, your computer or your hairdryer or anything else. And all of these added value items are cheap. So make sure you have your logo, name, phone number and email address on the item and clients will love you for it. More importantly, when they come back, give them a call, drop them an email or send them a postcard when they return asking if everyone is okay. How can we improve our service for you next time? I travel 100 to 250,000 miles a year and nobody ever calls me to say, how was it? So Alistair, I'll bet that um, this will set you apart from all other travel agents. It won't cost you very much and will make you feel good and will get you a customer for life. More important, it will get you word of mouth going for you. And this is really the powerful way to build business. Alistair, Kikas Business and Marketing Secrets. My latest bestseller will be airmailed to you tomorrow, although probably what I should do is send you a gift certificate from Waterstones since it's not very far away. Don't forget, I want to hear from you, so visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want me to talk about. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. Remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, Voice America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week, and I'll see you at the same time next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.